everybody and welcome to the podcast. In this episode I got to sit down with Ted Butler. So I wanted to find somebody who had years of life experience, great stories to tell and wisdom to share. And let me tell you, Ted did not disappoint. I was introduced to Ted by my parents and he is a 91 year old legend. He has lived all around Australia serving the Indigenous people and um, he is an example of somebody who just loves people. He doesn't judge people, he just loves them. And that was a huge takeaway from me, just the fact that no matter where Ted was, he would always seek out people that he could serve and love. And that, yeah, that was huge for me and I hope you you uh, take away something from that also. And um, yeah, he was just a beautiful person. Just a great, great story, lived a great life, and it's somebody that I really admire and I want to kind of model my life after, just the way that he is so gentle and loving towards people. And so I really hope you enjoy this conversation. We got to sit down in Ted's daughter's uh, living room in Brisbane. He lives in Atherton, but he was down in Brisbane, and so it was great. We're sitting around the kitchen table just having a chat, and I loved it, and I hope you do too. And... Um, let me know in the comments and the feedback so I can pass that on to Ted what you enjoyed about it. And uh, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Ted, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast. And just so we can all get to know you a bit better, can you tell everybody your full name and where you were born? Yeah, Edward Charles Butler, um, named after an uncle who actually was drowned many years ago, along with another brother. My grandmother lost two children in one boating incident. So the Edward came from that. And uh, Charles, my father's name, so Edward Charles Butler was the name I was given. Yes, and that was in 1928. 1928. Yes. So how old is that making now? Just 91. 91. Just turned 91, yes. You're looking great for 91, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes. When I'm 91, I hope to be as fit as you are, that's for sure. Yes. I'm I'm surprised to have got to this age and to be still mobile. Able to do things and uh, not quite as quick in the mind or uh, and uh, more careful in my actions, but uh, yeah, I'm here. That's good. Where were you born? Born in um, in Victoria, in um, in, in uh, Elstonwick, which is near Cor- well, one of the suburbs of Melbourne. Okay. Yes. And did you have a you had a big family? Did you say? Um, it well for. Uh, um, Eleven years, only had a brother. And they had a brother. And then another brother came, and uh, a couple of years later, another brother, and nineteen years after I was born, a sister. All oh, right. Yes. So quite spread out. Then. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. I was the oldest. You were yes. the oldest. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So nineteen twenty-eight, things would have been a lot different back then. I oh imagine. wow! Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Life was much simpler. And, uh, yeah. Just a different time. Oh, wow. <laughs> what do you think was the most different compared to now, would you say? Well, we, we were just a struggling family. My dad had a job as a uh, night watchman, actually, at the Gorfield Racecourse. 
and my mother was homebound as they were in those days. And uh, uh, yeah, was very careful with money because there wasn't much of it. Mm. How they got a new house to move into, I'm not quite sure of that. But uh, it, I think it took him about 60 years to pay that house off so <laughs> on the mortgage. Um, but uh, they were yeah, fairly standard parents. My dad tended to be a little bit selfish. That's the thing. I don't want to really put him in there. He's a good father, but because he he learned to play golf and other things, and my mum just was the home board, yes. which I think she resented in later years. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, it would have been better if uh, he'd been a bit more thoughtful yeah. about that. Do you think that was – was that a, a sort of a, a – um the way that kind of society was back then as well? Like was that kind of the, the standard in it, where the, the husband was the one who did the activities, went to work, and the, the wife was, uh, as you say, confined to the yeah. house, unfor- as bad as that is? No, I don't think it was the standard, but that was my dad's uh, way of life and uh, it was unfortunate because I think my mother resented it in later years that uh, she hadn't got the attention she should have got. So where'd you go to school? Yeah, um, used to walk uh, about three kilometres to school, I think. Um, you know, we went to Carnegie School, my brother and I, and uh, did all my primary years there. Then went to uh, what they called a Caulfield Technical School. Okay. And that suited me because I wanted to be a carpenter, and that was the way I went. So the technical school was like a trade school. Oh, was it? Yeah, well, I was. A, we did the usual things you do at school, but there was a fair amount of trade input, and it was all boys. Okay. All boys, yes. My dad, as you know, my dad, Michael, he went to Box Hill Technical School. Oh, right. Which I don't know how close or far that oh, is from well, where we That's not that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah. Box Hill well. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so he went I didn't realise that. Yeah. Yes. You have to chat to him about that later on. Yes, yes. But that's good. So you became a carpenter. Yeah, I became a carpenter in the days of the the latter days of the war, well, mid-war, and um, I started work first in a factory where, because uh, my father worked there, where they were canning beetroot and butter for the armed services. Oh wow! And uh, I kept uh, knocking on the door of this builder's uh, place on the way home from work. And one day he said, have you got a saw and a hammer? And I said, yes, remembering my father had a saw and a hammer. And I started work the next Monday. Just kept knocking on the door until you got that job, hey? Yeah, yeah. yes. And not knowing at that time that uh, during the war, you couldn't change jobs. Okay. The job I had in the factory, I couldn't, shouldn't by law change it yeah, without wow. uh, getting a, a permission from an uh, an organisation called Manpower. Okay. But anyway, I knocked off work one day, went and got my permission and I was cleared into wow. being so the, so what they were doing that because they just didn't want people changing jobs because yeah, yeah. pretty much all Australia's efforts yeah. was keep their tabs on things, yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. And yes. how long did that was that for the entire war? Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know about that until this was raised after I started working a new job. But yes, yeah, because I guess you didn't know about it and then all of a sudden it became relevant. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yes. What made you want to become a carpenter in the first place? Like, was there something about that that... Ah, just was a built-in sort of desire to make things, I think, yes, yeah. Had you always, as a child, 
you know, made things and tinkered with things and yeah, a bit. A bit. Yes, yes, a bit. Yeah, it's yes. just I guess something. Yeah, as you as you yeah. went through, you just yeah. wanted to do that. Yeah, my dad built a, a bit of a room on our house at one time, and I had a part in that, and that might have been a little trigger too, yeah. you know, just to be involved with that. Yeah. And um, so, how long were you a builder for? Well, I, I did my apprenticeship with that firm, um, quite a big firm. And I had a very rounded experience because they did big jobs and small jobs. And uh, mainly I was in a, in a little gang that built uh, brick veneer houses, uh, but I had an experience in concrete jobs and other things, and that was very handy for me later on yeah, to uh, get that rounded experience. Yeah. So just uh, you were able yes. to do so many jobs yourself and that sort yes, of thing? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, of course, we finished up in... The, remote places where there weren't the facilities uh, nor the other trades yeah and so you were you All just had skills. to do everything and i'm amazed at some of the things i actually actually was able to do mm. uh, without knowing what well, being yeah, an expert the, the route, in it necessarily. Yeah. yes it, yeah, it's one of those things I, i'm starting to learn i i'm an electrician well yes. I, I did a trade as an electrician and i'm nowhere near able to do everything i want to do but yes by having those, um, you know, you learn a little skill yes. and then that builds on the next skill, on the next yes. skill. And very quickly you can just start to figure things out. And yes. Especially, I'm guessing, you wouldn't have been able to just Google it on the on the internet. No, or, no, no, no. <laughs> or nowadays I could look on YouTube and yes. find out exactly yes. what it needs to do. It would yes. be more of a let's just figure this out and see yes. how we go. So, yes. Well, we did finish up. I'll be jumping ahead here, but that's uh, fine. Uh, jumping ahead because I finished up at Mornington Island Mission in 1958, and um, it was a very remote, remote area, uh, very few facilities, and um, uh, yeah, you, you learn to make do with what you had. And uh, I visited there a couple of years ago, and I'm thrilled to see the house I built in 1958 is still standing there. It's the first house you see after you leave the airport. Oh, wow. And it looks very much the same as when I built it, but I know it's not the same because it had aluminium cladding and that got badly damaged in cyclones. Okay. And the uh, windows have been changed because they were old steel windows and they would have rusted out. Yeah. And now it's aluminium. But to look at it from a distance, it's the same house that I wow. built in 1958. And most of the other houses that have been there over the period have blown away with cyclones. <laughs> so I'm very pleased. So you're doing that. something right, that's oh, for sure. Oh, yes, yeah. Whatever you did. Yeah, yeah. And so whereabouts was that? That's Mornington. Mornington like, Island. Whereabouts is Mornington Island? It's uh, about 140 miles. I've got to think of miles. 140 miles um, north of, of Corumba. In the Gulf of Carpentaria. Okay, so way up yes. north. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah. very much so. And it was remote in those days. Uh, people were very good to deal with. Mm. Um, they hadn't been, I suppose, spoiled in a way with any much outside influence. We uh, we had a plane once a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the mail plane came once a fortnight. So you, if you got a letter, no matter how important, you couldn't reply to it until another two weeks. Uh, it's just a we different have, time, isn't it? Our communications were very, uh, uh, well, I suppose I'd say adequate radio, but a bit in, bit, not the best quality. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. 
and so you did telegrams. Okay. Things and, uh, so yeah. a telegram is like a fax? This is my lack of knowledge. Well, of on the radio, um, you'd, you'd call into the radio and say who you were, you know, AYD Mornington, and uh, you'd have to just verbally give your message, oh, okay. which he would copy and send as a telegram. Righto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we got things so like that. a lot of facts then, a bit different. <laughs> oh, yeah, very different. <laughs> yes. At, uh, uh, on that radio one day, I uh, just happened to be in the office, which I wasn't that often, and um, the Cloncurry uh, called in for 8YD Mornington, and I answered, and it was, a, it was a telegram to tell me my brother had been drowned oh, in, in Victoria, and, uh, which... Uh, Set, set me thinking a bit. No, yeah. no. How old yes. was he at the time? Uh, he, well, he was even eight months older than me. Okay. Yes. And at that time, my wife Marge was uh, was in Cloncurry uh, having our only son. Yes, oh, wow. Yeah. Kenneth. Yeah, Ken. Yeah, yes. He was a present in uh, Singapore. Okay. For a firm there. Yeah, with a very good job. Yes. And, uh, Yes. I bet you're proud of that, that's for sure. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. So if we jump back a bit now, so you, you mentioned Warnington Island and yes. the things that have happened there. How did that come about? So you were a builder. Well, that was interesting. Uh, we were going to the Presbyterian Church um, and uh, we got the word that uh, they could do with a carpenter uh, on at Weeper, actually, and... Um, so I uh, made the application and it was, things were sort of sailing along, but doing it quietly because we didn't know how it was going to go. And um, the most interesting thing happened. Um, at that time, I was building a church for just our own little area, uh, building it at cost to help out. Yeah, well. And we decided we'd have a door knock around. And um, going back to the point that you didn't have... Um, the net or anything like that, very difficult to find out anything about a place mm. uh, thousands of kilometres way up in the north, um, remote. And um, so we were trying to find out a bit about Weeper to know what the situation was. We had a door knock and we went singly because there weren't enough people to go doubly. And uh, one of the houses I knocked on the door and uh, gave my story about building a church and just looking for Presbyterians or anyone who'd like to come. And this man said, um, well, I am a Presbyterian, but I won't be able to come because I spend all of my time at Weeper. Now, I, I thought that was a bit of a touch of God. I could have knocked on a thousand doors that day, and uh, I knocked on the door of the man from Weeper, and uh, he, he was the man uh, who, uh, a geologist actually, who had some responsibility for discovering the potential of the bauxite at Weeper. Yeah, wow. and uh, we met him on definitely, a, definitely a touch of God. I yeah, know. yeah, we had him around for lunch, for dinner, of course, and and uh, soaked in a bit about Weeper. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a very big part of our accepting the uh, offer to go there. Yeah, the adventure that yes. was awaiting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we weren't going for the adventure. We went because I thought I'd just step aside and do something for others, um, but it grew a bit bigger than that, yes, yes. And so, so that kind of that led into then you found out about Weeper. Yes, so, yes. Th- th- as you're saying, that's, uh, okay, look, maybe there's, there's something in this. Let's, let's yes, do it. but then I mentioned Mornington, and that was a funny thing because I was to go to Weeper 
But then they decide they want me to go to Moynihan on to build this house. Okay. For six weeks. And um, I was to go on my own and, my, and then come out and meet my wife and go to Weeper. But um, as it happened, uh, that got changed around and we, we all went to Weep, went to Moynihan Island. Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, I was in hospital in Cloncurry when my wife came through, uh, coming to Moynihan Island with three little girls on the DC3 uh, after she'd packed up the house and done all the cleaning up. That's terrible, isn't it? I was away doing other things. And um, we we met up in Cloncurry and uh, okay. went back together, yeah, to uh, to uh, really a little shed we lived in once we found a place to live in uh, with a very rough concrete floor, uh, push-out shutters for windows and um, Heather here was only about four and a half at the time. And she told her mother before they left Melbourne, it'll be all right, Mum, long as we've got wall-to-wall carpet. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, how did yeah, that go? <laughs> yeah, yes, and, uh, it would okay. have been hot. I know, oh, oh, compared to Melbourne. Oh yes, and no comforts really. Yeah, no, no air conditioning or anything like that. No, no, and uh, the uh, the officialdom in Brisbane didn't think you needed fans up in that country, <laughs> but we only had 110 power, of course. Yeah, and uh, that was very. So limited. you didn't have any fans. We we managed to get fans yeah. in we had to get 110. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, pretty primitive housing. Mm. Third, third world would be described it pretty well. It was very untouched back mm. then in a but way. But life, life was good. Mm. The people were very good to work with. So what were you what were you actually doing up there? So you you went up there originally to build that house. Yes. What was yes. that? Why were you building that? What was the house going to be used for? Uh, well, it was to be a mission uh, to be house a mission, for mission yeah. staff. Okay. <clears throat> Presently, it's the um, uh, safe house for women. Wow. At the Warrington Island. That's yes. amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's the house yeah. that you built. Yeah, yeah. So long ago. Yes. But during my time there, the uh, very small staff on those places in those days and um, it, it got to the point of the, the superintendent very good Christian man named Doug Belcher and his wife uh, Doreen and they'd been maybe 16 years already in that sort of work and um, he went for furlough and there's uh, no one else there and I became the acting superintendent for seven months actually Wow! and during that time um, Normal staff was uh, an outside overseer to do things outside, as myself as the builder, the superintendent and his wife, who did unpaid bookkeeping and all that sort of thing, and um, a teacher. And they slowly disappeared while I was there until it came back to the fact that I was the only man on the place, my wife being the unpaid uh, everything, and, and a nursing sister. And uh, that nursing sister is still a very good friend of ours, lives in Brisbane, actually. There you go. Yeah, from all those years ago, yeah. yes. Yeah. So together we had some pretty interesting experiences, actually. Yeah, but you'd have some good stories to share yeah, with each other, yeah. that's for sure. But uh, the stories I could tell would indicate how um, uh, accepting the people were of us. Mm. I mean, there were situations where you were the only man there, mm. the place had to run, and the food had to be provided, and all sorts of facilities, and it, it just rolled along because the people were so 
amenable and helpful. That's great. Yes, yes. So these were these were the indigenous people yes. of that area. Yes, and yes. so this this mission was sort of set up to to help those people. That's right. Um, yes, yes. It was um, it came after the Presbyterian uh, the Presbyterian Church got involved in missions in in Queensland back in the eighteen hundreds. Because the Queensland government, interestingly, realised that the people right up north were being, uh, well, used very badly by pearlers and oh, the yeah. people taking advantage of them. Um, I can know all the details, but it was pretty bad. Well, the Presbyterian Church felt they couldn't do it, so they got the Moravian Church in Germany to come and start that first wow. mission at Mapoon, and that's a marvellous, marvellous story for that. Yeah. And then slowly it went down to, uh, from Mapoon, it went to uh, Weeper, and then to Arakoon, and then Mornington Island was the last uh, Presbyterian mission established there. Um, so there was quite a bit of history, really, in all that. So it was the, the church from Germany that came over? Yes, yeah. yes, the wow. Moravians, and if you want to... Interesting story. Read a bit about the Moravians. They, yeah, uh, I haven't actually heard about them, so I'll yeah. definitely be doing that. Well, there were churches that are credited with having a prayer group that went for hundreds of years. Really? Yeah, yeah without stopping. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Yeah. I'll definitely have to research it's worth, that. Yeah, yeah. It's worth a read. Yeah. And somehow they, they were able to come over here. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. That's amazing. Um, so uh, that was the sort of... How it all started, a very interesting story, mm. yes. But the people were very, what's the word, would go along with you, you know. Yeah. A little incident that happened with me when I was there as the, as the manager in that, in, in the uh, or superintendent in those days, they called him, um, was that the, the men used to go out on stock work. Okay. And they would work out for a season and normally come home for Christmas with their new hats and New shirts and yes, all this, yeah. and uh, in those days uh, there was a system of where they were, their payments were controlled by the department, okay. and um, that was all controlled through the, uh, the policeman in Burketown, who was the protector for that area. And the process was that we would give a person a note to take the protector to write out an agreement for him so that he was officially appointed to his station he went to and his wages and everything were all set up. And we had, uh, the year I was there, the men came home, maybe 20, maybe more, uh, from their work, Christmas time, and coming up to get their money because we had the accounts come through the department and there was no money in their accounts oh. because I discovered the Burketown policeman decided he didn't like that job, so he didn't do it. And so they all went out to work for a year with no money. Yeah. Now, I had to get those men up and uh, address them and say, look, I don't know what's happened, but there's no money in your accounts. I'll try and find out as soon as I can and get it fixed up. Wow. And they just said, yeah, okay, okay. Wow. Imagine that happening now. No. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah that yeah. wouldn't happen now, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they just all wandered off, put the hats on and wandered After off. After doing yeah. years of work and yeah. stock work as well, yeah. so yeah. hard, hard right. yakka yeah. to come home and then yeah. the policeman just said, oh, I didn't think, didn't want to do that. Yes, that's oh. right, yes. That's in, yeah, that's incredible there. I had another incident too, it's a bit amusing I suppose in a way, um, to just prove that point. 
uh, we had a lady there who was an asthmatic. And um, one sister with 450 people, imagine, not, you know, not knocking on the door and all sorts That's of a things. a job. And I remember one young lady came up with a backache and had a baby, you know, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Um, uh, anyway, this lady with the, who was the asthmatic was using the sister quite a lot and, and wearing her down. I could see her getting worn down. So what do you mean by using? You just mean she well, just kept she coming was, for come, all yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Enjoying the attention perhaps. Yes. And um, so the sister spoke to the doctor and he said, well, don't bring her up to your little hospital. I won't describe the hospital. It was pretty shabby. Um, and so as her sister hoped and she came across one day and there's only three of us there, Marge, my wife, me and the sister, and she was really distressed. She said, oh, they're bringing Lucy up from the village. Lucy was so, the asthmatic. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I could see that I'm going to lose my sister if this yeah. goes on. So I went down and met these fellows coming up with a well stretcher on their shoulders and Lucy laying on the stretcher, and I just said, hold on there. Uh, I want you to take Lucy back home. She'll be all right. Just take her back home and sister will come down and see her down at the home. And they were a bit, you know, they turned around and went back. Now, if you can imagine, they're the Aboriginal fellows who live there and you hear yeah. this white fella saying, don't do what you're doing. Yeah. So they went down. But later on in the day, I thought, I'd better go down and uh, see what's happening here. And uh, so I went down and <clears throat> these people lived, lived on the beach at this time. They were doing, just Back, the back beach. It's back from the beach, yeah. But um, well, the scene I saw, and I wish I could describe it properly, was a, a hospital bed that had been borrowed from the hospital with the uh, frame over it with the uh, mosquito net. Mm. And um, on the bed was this inert figure laying there and, uh, and a mosquito net which was just wafting in the breeze of it with this inert, inert figure. And... Um, <clears throat> Around it was this big circle of people in a mourning sort of state, you know, heads down, sitting on the ground, a circle. I thought, goodness, what's to do here? So I raised my voice. I might have had a better voice in those days. Raised my voice and said, look, the best thing you people can do for Lucy is to just go home because she's going to be all right. And when I said that, the figure on the bed sat bolt upright and started to attack me, <laughs> <laughs> which was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a, a real experience. That and she was a nice lady. She was a good lady. Nice and her lady. husband was a good bloke too. But, but just had uh, sort of got got herself into a bit of a state where the, yes, you know, the yeah, world yeah. was going to end because she, you know, she right. had a bit of yes. asthma. And, yeah. yeah, a little extra to that story was that sister one time the doctor. Uh, Perhaps he thought that she was getting a bit overdone, so he, well, demanded, I suppose, in a way. There was a patient there, so he demanded she bring the, she escort the patient out to Cloncurry. Um, and so here we were going to be left without a sister. With the, and this lady was the big worry because the asthmatic. So she had to get Marge and teach Marge how to give an injection, which I think they practised on an orange. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and the instructions were, don't give it too fast or you'll kill her, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, and then the sister went off on the plane. And um, I think 
Lucy made sure that uh, she didn't have, any, have an attack during that period. And uh, we were very glad that about three days later, because that left Marge and myself on the, on the community. And uh, about three days later, she came back on a, on a plane. And, uh, so three uh, days, uh, that's a long three days without anyone to give yeah, medical assistance. Yeah, that's right, yes. So we were pretty pleased about that, yes. Wow. Yes. How many people were roughly on the About island? 450. 450. Mm, yes. That included, or uh, quite uh, well, included the population from Benting Island, which was 40 miles away. Okay. Uh, that was flooded out with a sort of a mini uh, tsunami right. in 1946. Um, there was some eruption up north, but because the Gulf is the Gulf, the water that raised up just kept building up higher mm. and damaged their water, yeah, water supplies, and their hunting and everything because they were living in 1946 primitively, mm. quite primitively. Yeah, there's some good books written about that. And um, the story I got from the Aboriginal men at, so I believe it, they, um, they went to the superintendent's office door one day, uh, superintendent at that time, knocked on the door and said, those people down at Bending Island are singing out to us. Well, they're 40 miles away, but there's smoke in the air. That was straight after this tsunami and they went down there and um, with the mission sailing boat and the people were very pleased to come away. Yeah. Sadly, nowadays you'll hear this story told and the story is that they were forced off the island. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I've spoken to people who were there yeah. and I know they weren't. And, in fact, they were so primitive in thought that uh, the uh, old men on the boat um, heard them talking and told the superintendent on the boat they've left a baby behind. Wow. Because he wasn't worth bringing, wow. you know. That was how they just that tribal that was, that was culture, how they lived. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, and um, they turned around, and went back, and that fellow was still there when I was there. He was all right. Yes, they brought him, looked after him, and uh, relative to that is the fact that uh, um, life there was very hard, and it's proven by the fact that a, a man named Roth. He was the protector of Aboriginals about 1900. He went down into the Gulf uh, on a sailing boat they had in those days, the mm. government. And because uh, Bending Island is a long, narrow island, he and the crew walked through and the people kept retreating ahead of them, yeah. going down until they were out on the reef. They could take photos, <clears throat> uh, taking notice of weapons they had and, and numbers, children babies and all that. And in 1946, the population was the same size as it was then. Wow. So there was a fairly high death rate. Uh, yeah. For different reasons. They, uh, one was they used to have a sort of a raft they made out of what we'd call sticks and many died at sea. And, and also killings. Uh, lots, of, lots of killings. Yeah. I actually camped on the beach there one night with some Mornington Island men and one Bendig man. And I think for my sake, we were sitting around the fire and they were asking him, who killed who, you know? <laughs> and he was demonstrating, he was killing down there, he was to be in here or whatever. Wow. Yeah, so... Uh, Just a different way of life, really, isn't it? Different, yeah, yeah. Different values and 
that's the way that they've been yeah. been brought up and that's yeah, the way that's that right. society well, worked. I believe that you can get killed if you caught a good fish, you know, because mm. of food, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine as well, um, like infant mortality probably mm. a big yeah, thing that's as well. Right. Yes. If they haven't got any medical. No, nothing, yes. Yes, interesting story. And <clears throat> while it's a neighbouring island, there were different sort of people, to, mm. different style of people. But, yeah, okay. but they were very, when I went there, I was, it was 12 years after them going from that island, they were the happiest people you'd meet. Mm. Yeah, because they got food and yeah, attention. Yeah, like conditions so had been yeah. improved a yeah, lot. Yeah, so uh, I don't like it when I hear the story told that they were forced off their island. Yeah, especially when you have knowledge of what actually happened. Yes, yes. And it's, um, I guess, because as well, if they if they were appreciative of the fact that they were helped by people and then, then they were it, happy. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Makes sense. No, that's right. They didn't, you know, the fights had gone, the, Need for killing to get a fish for not there. Well, we spent three years at uh, Moynton Island. Three years? Three years. Okay. For me, they were very satisfying. And for Marge too, because she was very much a part of the scene, but she had the children, of course, to mm. care for. And and uh, in her last year there, she went to Cloncurry and our baby, baby son was born. Okay. Born in Cloncurry. Is that your final son? Is that, uh, yes, yeah, that's right. Yes. You've got three, three children? Four. Four children. Three yeah. girls and a boy. Three yes. girls and a boy. Yes. And she had a bit of an adventure coming back because she was coming back on the <clears throat> DC3 and it broke down at wow. uh, Gregory Downs. Uh, well, she lost an engine, actually, uh, on the way. And uh, Marge actually reported to the stewardess, said, oh, she was the window, she said, oh, the wind, the uh, one end, you know, the engine stopped. And the, the, the stewardess wasn't very happy because she was had a 21st birthday party coming up somewhere down south and she knew immediately she wouldn't make didn't it. Didn't want to be late to it or yes. didn't want to, didn't, couldn't yes. make it at all. And she had a story that the flight before she'd been on, they had the same thing happen and they stayed in a hotel in one of those little towns and it burnt down. So oh. she had some adventures out of that. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, Marge was coming home on the DC3. It uh, broke down and uh, we had a small plane on the, just called in the island that time. I chartered him and went across and brought Marge home oh, on, that's on that. Yeah. I bet she was very appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so, for sure. So our family was uh, was back together. Yeah. Yeah. So three years of in Mornington Island and yes. then, and then what, what made you decide to leave? Well, it was a bit of a thing. I had in my mind whenever, if I felt a calling to come to here, what do I do now? Well, it was settled by another carpenter being appointed with his family. Okay. And so that settled that, that yeah. there. We returned to Melbourne where I, uh, I had bought a block of land before I went away and I built a house for spec and, uh, and really resumed my building until um, – I was invited to go to Weeper, right. so we went back. Went to Weeper <laughs> after all. Where uh, that's we, amazing. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Where once again I was um, uh, relieving superintendent on a number of occasions. Very different situation to what it was Boynton because the people got accustomed to working. Some of them for the mine, uh, Camelco and so yeah. on. And uh, yeah, my but, grandfather uh, was a. Um, 
quite high up as an electrical engineer at Camelco. That's right, right. Yeah. I learned that from your father. Yeah, did you? Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. yes. My dad yeah. used to live up there as well. I yeah, think. that's yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Well, it was early days when we were there. They had what they called a top camp and it was a, just only men there, no women was okay. Camelco. And, uh, but it was a fairly good arrangement. Um, the uh, superintendent at Weaver was a man named Jimmy Wynn. He was a wonderful bloke. And he had formed a very good relationship with Camelco. He was very helpful to them, actually, with his communications and everything else. Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, there's quite a quite a good atmosphere there between the company mm. fellas and the Aboriginals. Mm. So, when you say you were leaving for the superintendent, there is that the superintendent of the. The mission? Yes, the mission. Yes. So, yes, so part yes. of the Presbyterian yes, Church. Yes, that's right, okay, yes. yes. Yeah. It's now called Napanum now, okay. <clears throat> the mission area, but it was the original Weeper, yes. But that, once again, they were good people, small community, uh, very family-orientated, mm. and, uh, yeah, we, our time there was – the children loved it. Yeah, would be all would have been experiences and yeah, just, um, yes. totally different to what they would have experienced yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We and doing the same sort of work as you were in Mornington. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I like working with people. I, well, I suppose it was unfortunate, but I never had any uh, preparatory um, studies or okay. or assistance. I didn't go to any missionary training or, you know, I missed out on all that and uh, I think it would have been helpful but uh, everything seemed to be done in a bit of a rush and I didn't have that advantage. So you just kind of had to to figure it out as you went in a way. A bit, Similar yes. to your building, I guess. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I was at Weaver three years. I suppose the biggest thing I did there was that uh, Camelco provide the money for a new village. I set out the new village, wow. and I was the clerk who works on that uh, on that job wow. for fifty six houses. Yes, and uh, I still remember the uh, boat called the Carrara arriving in port, and uh, had two hundred and forty ton of cement on it, which we had to unload. <laughs> and I think I must have lost about three stone. I think over wow. about the four days or so we unloading that stuff. How did you do that? Just a shovel. No, uh, no, it was in bags, but they couldn't bring the boat, couldn't tie the boat up at the wharf, so we had to put trucks on a barge, the Camelco owners, trucks on a barge, and unload really bag, bag by bag in a sense. Um, uh, yeah, and, you would have uh, been fit after that one. Oh, oh yeah, I'll <laughs> say, yes. Yeah. Especially in that heat as well. Yeah, oh. it was a good thing about it because it's weeper. And you know, it's not going to rain. We could just unload it exactly out in the open. And uh, so, yeah. although you're probably getting it done, there wasn't that mad rush of oh, no, no, that's right. Yeah, you're rain. covering up or anything <laughs> like that. No, unload it and get done. So that that was uh, uh, exciting. And when that was finished, the uh, church decided um, wisely and. Uh, peacefully, that they'd hand over the administration to the government and so it became a government community and I was asked to remain on as manager, um, which, uh, yeah, I was pleased to do Yeah, and so I became a public servant. But once again, uh, most public servants get some <laughs> training and, and know what all of, what the uh, 
rules are and everything, but I missed out on all that. So I did a bit of a rule maker myself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it just goes to show, though, how like what you were talking about before, how you know, it was when you knocked on that door and you met that person from the man yes, from Weeper. Yes. How you saw that as a, um, you know, okay, well, this is a sign. Let's go. Yes. It's amazing how that journey then has taken you yes. to becoming a public servant yes. without any of that training. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do feel that um, well, people say, I don't know, I should claim for myself, people say that God calls and equips, but I do believe that God will lead you along the way when you maybe don't deserve to be led or uh, but need to be led. And uh, I think that happened in my life a bit. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yes. I think even the brief time that I've been sitting here with you, I'm seeing that that definitely evidence in your story. You mm. know, yes. Doors yes. have been opened. Yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of things like that. Well, from there I spent, uh, I spent a bit over 12 months with the department at Weeper. And it was a good move because uh, uh, it meant continuity, uh, my being there yeah. in the same role. If it had just been another public servant come up there, um, and I don't want to in any way demean public servants. I found by dealing with public servants, probably people think they mightn't have the compassion of maybe a missionary or someone who's a Christian. I found them to be great people, mm. uh, the public servants I worked yeah. with. Yeah, that's good. And I worked with quite a few. And uh, so I spent that time there, and then I got moved to Sherberg. Sherbeck. Okay. Yeah, for I suppose training purposes to knock me into shape. And uh, don't you know where Sherberg is? No, outside Mergen. Well, it's 140 mile it was from what north of Brisbane or something like that. Okay. And uh, that was a very different situation. We've been used to communities where you're all just the same. The people treat you the same as you treat them, you know. Yes. But Sherberg had been a terrible history there. Okay. Not so long before I went there, I'm glad it was over, people had to get a note or a letter to, to allow them to go to town. Wow. Yeah, that's not so long ago. Yeah. Well, back in the 60s, I suppose. But Which isn't, still that's not a long time ago, really. Yeah, so, things, so th it? these people were very different to the ones we've been used to. And uh, I tried to break that down a bit while I was there, and I was walking around one day around the village, with uh, one of the local policemen and visited a lady, I still remember her name, her name was Grey. So had a look in the house and so on. And they, were, they had no ceilings, you know, frosty mornings, all dripped through and that sort of thing. And I had a little talk with this lady who wasn't very come across-ish. And as I left, I said, well, I'll see you again. She said, yeah, when I'm in trouble. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so Sherberg was uh, a, bit, a bit different. Different, there. A bit yes. of a, almost a bit of like culture shock. Oh, coming yes, back in yes, from the difference. A, yeah. Yes, and from after a year there, um, I was transferred to Warabinda. Oh yeah, I've been in. I've been to Warabinda. You've been to Warabinda. I worked on the as an electrician. I worked on the school there. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, tiny okay. little place. A, a new school, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was a new school. We put solar panels on the on the building. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I, was, I went there and uh, it was a very good posting because the man I took over from had been there 25 years. I think he founded the place, I think, because those people came from Tarum. That's where they had lived and they were moved in mass 
someone said they chose the site there because it was the right distance from a pub or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so Warabinda was established on wow. that, uh, Mimosa Creek, I think it is. And it was interesting because this man had been here 25 years. He tended to rule the place as he wanted to. And uh, it was run down. And some of the things I did was pull down buildings that needed to be pulled down and, and just restarted it. And yeah. uh, that was, uh, uh, yeah, that was. And the family loved it. The family loved it. Yeah. How long were you there for? I was there for about 18 months. And then I got moved. And uh, that upset the family. And greatly. so this is the. the- the church is moving you to no, his, no, no, no. Sorry, no. These were uh, government. This communities. is the government now. Yeah, yes, government okay. communities. Yes, yes. yeah. Um, but I was just continued on as I had always had. Yes, it. Uh, yeah, Windsor was a was a good place. It wasn't too challenging, mm. um, and I was able to do a few things. One thing I did was. Arranged for for that school bus, a bus full of people to come once to Emu Emu Park, I think it is, in, out of Rocky. Yeah, yeah. And know, and yeah. we we got into the National Fitness Building there and had someone come and lecture us, and they it was a family thing, you know. Oh, cool. I suppose it really good outcomes from that. Yeah, yeah that's good. The people hadn't had anything like that done before. That's somebody coming in and putting on those programs because they're really caring about their well-being and yes, things like that. Yes, you know? yeah. And we had we had one one thing that happened was that we had a visit from, I suppose you'd call them activists, or, um, I forget the name of your organisation, but they're the ones that looked out and liked to cause trouble, you know, yes, for, yeah. for people who weren't doing the right thing for the Aboriginals. And they visited once and with them was... Um, the man who stood against Bob Hawke, Bob Hawke got elected, but who, who was Bill Hayden. Yeah. Bill Hayden was in that party. Me, I think. Yeah, Bill Hayden <laughs> was in that party. And um, and they came and we had a nice morning tea for them. And then they said, you know, ominously in a way, said, right, let's go down and look at the dormitory. Because mm. <laughs> they were looking for places that were, you know, to cause a disturbance about. And I remember we went down there and we had a wonderful lady in the dormitory and uh, – We'd made no, well, I'd made no preparations for this trip. I remember the kids were having their meal and they said, oh, you put this meal on specially because we're coming. That was the sort of visit it was. And they also had a pick at the, uh, we had a jail there. Um, they highlighted that and a few other things. And it was quite a thing in the newspaper, in the Korean Mail. I was just trying to look for different faults in the, oh, in yes, the opposition's yes. they governments. Were there. They were there yeah. for that, you know. Yeah. And um, nothing's changed then today. Yeah. today yeah. So they uh, they spent the, quite a time there, and and then, as I say, the paper came out, and all this stuff was in the paper. And um, just at that time, one of our staff members very cleverly knocked down all our telephone lines, okay. so we had no outside communications. And about a day later, a car drove in, and it was a courier mail. A reporter come to check it out, and um, I saw his name in the paper just recently. I can't think of it, but uh, oh, I've got really? the papers somewhere at home. Yeah. And um, so he he came in, and um, we didn't know he was coming, and he realised that. 
And uh, I said, oh, well, I'll t- take you exactly the same route that we did with the others. And so he wrote a, a whole page about what a good place for yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. so some conflicting reports going oh, on. Oh, hey. yeah, yeah, different yeah. angle. Hey. Oh. Yeah, yeah. People could see what they want to see, I guess, can't they? Yeah, they come yes. in with an agenda. Yes, That's yeah. for sure. It was, it was just an interesting thing that, that uh, we didn't know was coming. Yeah. And anyway. so from there, from Warabinda, somehow you managed to, you got into prison chaplaincy? or oh, oh, yeah, well, Warabinda, and then I got moved to Kaonyama. You probably know, heard of Kaonyama. I've heard of it, but I'm not too sure where, where yeah, that is. Yeah, that's out on the Gulf of Carpentaria. Okay. Yeah, on the, on the Mitchell River. Uh, and those three years were good, were yeah. good. I followed a man who would set it up very well and very thankful for that because I followed his steps and he had done a better job than I could have. To, a lot of pre-work to, for yeah, it. Yeah, yes. And so Kaonyama worked out well for us. Uh, it was still, all of these places were pre-alcohol. Mm. Now that made a, alcohol made a tremendous difference mm. to those communities. And then after there I went to Keynes. I was there, I was appointed to Keynes as a regional manager. And that was a good appointment. I was there six years actually. Okay. Um, and it was uh, while I was there, we began to get involved a bit. With, somehow or other, I found prison fellowship and uh, joined prison fellowship. And uh, but I was still working there. I left. I left there after six years um, because I was going to be appointed to Thursday Island, and I was it very very political at that time with Gough Whittlem and yes, so on. Yeah, yeah. And that's not my thing. So I decided to resign. Mm. I built a shop in Cairns and we went building canoes because um, I, I had uh, thought I'd better do something for my son. We built a plywood canoe and started to paddle up on the Lake Placid there and soon met the canoe fellows and it wasn't long we were, we were into fiberglass canoes and um, there was nowhere up there really for those sort of things. So when I left the department, I built a shop and um, started to build canoes. Wow. Yes. And you saw a bit of an opening in the market. Yeah, and yes. Some interest and you had. And yeah, we didn't make a fortune. It worked hard, but it was a good thing to do. For, yeah. and, Roughly how old are you right now? Like how how old would you have been now? Yeah, in my 40s, eh? In your 40s, I mean, yeah. I'd have to think about it a bit more, a bit yeah. older maybe. Uh, my son was, uh, uh, but, uh, to continue with the canoeing, because of that start, my son became, he was a very good canoeist. He yeah. went he went twice to the world championships wow. uh, paddling down river. <laughs> and I think they were 19th or something in the first time. And the second time um, they tipped out. <laughs> and he had a different mate and he felt the other mate didn't work in too good. Yeah. But they were down river racing. Do you know anything about canoeing? Not, not a lot. I know a bit about kayaking. And yeah. Things like that, but very challenging down river. Yeah. Yes, so you got to go through different gates. And no, no, like this wooden gate. No, it's that's slalom. Okay, yeah. Down river is getting the river might be going about twenty five kilometres an hour or more in rocks and wow. all sorts of things. You've got to know how to handle yeah. yourself. Yeah. But uh, they didn't do any good in in Italy. They tipped out. But um, then they went to Scotland and they were, were second in the Commonwealth Championships. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a good yeah. achievement. That's for sure. But it was. It was good for my son, really good, yes. Mm. And uh, yeah, it gave him confidence maybe for other things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
it was right in that period I began to get involved in in the, the prison fellowship by visiting the, the watch house, the old Cairns watch house on a Sunday. And uh, I visited with two other fellas, been going for a long, long time. They used to take in cigarettes to give it to the fellas. Okay. But I, I changed it. I was, we had a talk about it and we started to take fruit in. <laughs> I think the smokers were a bit disappointed. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but others were pleased to get a bit of fruit because yeah, yeah, pretty pretty uh, low standard of food mm-hmm. when you're waiting in the watch house to go to the court. And so I was there until – and uh, in, in nine years, I started to go Lotus Glen late – 1989, and that's when we decided we'd move to Atherton okay. because to be closer to the prison. Yeah, and um, uh, Marge became involved in that a lot. She was really a very important uh, member of our little team, mm. and uh, because I wasn't a pastor or had any other uh, responsibilities, I could throw myself 100% into that. And we both did. We visited. Marge took on literacy work. And uh, so she, we used to go in together, mm. and uh, uh, I would say I was the perfect prison visitor, but at least I was going. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, dealt with, not dealt with, but met hundreds and hundreds of fellas yeah. over the years. One of our best friends now was a man that Marge taught literacy in prison. He was there for murder. Um, I think that probably manslaughter might have been appropriate if he had the money to fight it. Defend, yeah, yeah, defend it. But uh, he did a life sentence. He's our best friend. He's Is that Bob? <laughs> yeah, that's Bob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes, my daughter's here and she's had a car in Atherton. And uh, I said to her one day, oh, Bob's going to take me somewhere in the car. She said, oh, I had to know him. I was so off in prison. <laughs> she said, oh. I said, oh, you murder. Oh, do you think he's all right to drive my car? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I've rung a few people while I've been here, met in, in yeah. prison. In fact, I had a ring from a fellow out of the blue, and he was there in the New Guinea man who was in for very nasty murder. Mm. And he rang me here, uh, found out from someone, yeah. my phone number, and he lives in Brisbane. I won't be able to see him, but... Uh, he has there's, changed me up various times. There's still, there's still people, you know, like they all have a story and yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I think. Also, some people seem to forget that as well. These yeah. these people in prison that, you know, they 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 still are people, and yeah, yes. they they may have done things or sometimes not done things, and they're in there for no reason. Yes. And yeah, if you, by yeah. you probably just going in there and being a friend, showing compassion. Yes. Taking Not, an interest. Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know what most people there would have done. Mm. You know? Yeah. You'd hear of the worst ones maybe, but otherwise they're just fellas. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a, in a nasty situation. So, yeah, I did about 25 years in there. Yeah. And we did some, did some interesting things because of that reason I said that I didn't have any other responsibilities. Mm. So we could really plan and do things that others didn't do. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was a great time. Yeah. I, I missed it when I stopped going, actually. Spent a lot of time going to the farm in the end. Um, and this was all in Atherton? 
Yes, yes. So you were there for quite a long time. Lotus Glen. Yeah, Lotus Glen. About 25k out. Okay, yes. Yes. Did thousands of miles going back as far as that place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it was very, very fruitful. Mm. And, uh, yeah, Prison Fellowship, wonderful organisation. I don't know if you know anything about it. But, I do uh, know. I know a few people who are prison chaplains. Okay, yes, I yes. think they're mainly in the the ones closer to Brisbane, so yeah. the one out near Ipswich area. Oh, right, yes, yeah, that's right, Such yes. W. Wakehole, that one. Yeah, Wakehole, yes. Yeah, I've yeah. visited those a bit just to see someone. Yeah. Um, and uh, we met other people too. Like yesterday I went and met a lady who I met um, about 19... Uh, about 1991, 92, I suppose, and we've been in touch ever since. Wow. And she was an ex-friend uh, uh, or whatever of, of an inmate. Yeah. 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 Very rewarding, I imagine, as well. Did you, did you find that as a rewarding time? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Well, well, if you think you've helped someone, mm. even just by accepting them as they are, that, uh, that's rewarding. Yeah. Yes. That's what life's about, isn't it? Really? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And Marge was always a part of that. Uh, the last we actually uh, bought a house in Atherton, and uh, it was very suitable to make a flat okay. out of the garage. And so we we had men coming out of prison to stay there, uh, some who wouldn't have been very acceptable in the community mm. for what they'd done. Yeah, but um, they lived there for a time till they got themselves sorted. Like and a reintegration uh, kind of, mm, yeah, yeah. The last one was a, a man named Albert, and uh, I met Albert about, uh, I don't know what year now. Anyway, I met him, and he just started his sentence, and he was there for, going to be there for eight years or something. Okay. But he was waiting for me, just, no, he wasn't waiting for, he was waiting for a chaplain to come in. Right. And he saw me and he said, I don't know what I'm do, going to do when I get out of here. I said, well, let's know when you're getting out. And um, he actually had been an, an accountant, uh, manager of a store like IGA. Okay, yep. yeah. In Moree, I think. Yep. And, uh, but alcohol had brought him down. Mm. And he had uh, been, bo- uh, been boarding somewhere with a fellow and uh, sharing and found out the other fellow wasn't paying the rent, you know, getting the money and not paying the rent and must have challenged him and, and it was such a frightening situation that hit him with a shovel which didn't, wow. <laughs> which, which killed him. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> but they must have taken the view that it was self-defence because he only did eight years. In fact, it might have been less than that. Anyway, I used to have conversations with him. He looked after the Rose Garden in Lotus Glen and yeah. things and a few conversations and um, he... Uh, the day came when I went one day and he was waiting for me. He said, I'm getting out very soon. I said, oh, well, I remember what I said. I said, well, let me know when you're getting out. Well, that same day he's waiting for me again later on to say, I'm out today. <laughs> and I booked myself into a motel in Mariva uh, for, for, for tonight. I said, well, all right. I felt committed. I'll uh, I'll pick you up in the morning. So I went and picked him up in the morning, but but – when I went home that afternoon, I said to Marge what was happening because I never told her about him. <laughs> so I said, we've got this man coming tomorrow and uh, t- t- and particularly the alcoholic bit. And uh, Marge said, you know, I suppose she shrugged her shoulders and said, all right. And uh, so I picked up Albert, brought him home, the morning tea on the veranda, 
And Marge said to him, the best thing she could have ever said, she said, after introducing him, just a bit of a talk, she said, Albert, if you stay in our place, I'm not, I don't want any alcohol brought here. Mm. And he said, I promise you, Marge, I'll never bring alcohol. And that was the best thing she could have said yeah. to him because he adhered to that right yeah. through. And uh, it was wonderful. Every morning... He and Marge would walk around the garden to see what we did pull out that day. <laughs> That's so I was very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he stayed with us for for a long time. I couldn't tell you now how long. And then Marge was instrumental in getting him interested in finding a place for himself. And he got one of these housing commission little units, you know. Yeah. And he still used to come to the garden. But wow. He, he actually passed away. At, uh, we visited him once in hospital and uh, he appreciated that, but he, he passed away in the end. And, uh, I'm sure he was very, very thankful for what you and Mark. Oh, yes, he made that clear, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, well, I enjoyed Albert, he pulled weeds out of the garden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. Well, that's an, that's yeah. an amazing story, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was an amazing that's one, that amazing. one. We had uh, had others. Uh, so you're in prison fellowship for say 25 years. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Did you do any sort of retirement or anything like that, or? No, not really. I've always done building jobs, or I, lo- I love doing love jobs. Yes. I can't do them now because of my sight, mm. but um, uh, yeah, I can do them. I, I would. Yeah. yeah. I can't hit the nails now. Yeah. That's a bit of a problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can't see them because of my sight. Mm. Um, yeah, I, we in, while we were in prison fellowship, we had the uh, wonderful experience of going to some of their convocations in not in the United States, okay, in Toronto, um, at Washington DC, and uh, they are wonderful events. Yeah, yes, wonderful. Americans put on can put on an event. I can tell you that, mm. and I'm very proud to have my photo taken with uh, Charles Colson, who was the founder. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yes. He, yeah. It's been uh, a long. Been going for a long time, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, oh yes, yes. He's passed away now, but uh, it's a wonderful story of his. Okay, because he wasn't a Christian even when he he went to prison after the Watergate affair. Oh yeah, and it was while he was waiting for his trial and all all that to go on that uh, he became a Christian, and uh, yeah, and he started this international organisation. Yeah, it's massive. He was the right man. Whether you are God chooses who the right man, and uh, he was able to do that because of his standing. Definitely. He was actually Nixon's right hand man. Wow, uh, President Nixon, yeah, the Watergate affair. Yeah, yeah. You know a bit about that? Yeah, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah yes, and uh, yeah, great man. Great and probably man. through that experience of he himself being in prison, yes, he yes. was able to relate to those people that, that he wanted to help. That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah prisons of. Featured a bit in biblical characters, haven't they? Yes, yeah, they have. They're, yeah, yeah. It's well, been quite a um, yeah. When you think back, it's there's a lot of it, isn't there? Uh, much of the Bible written in pre- much of the New Testament written from prison, written from prison. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 Think about it, even like um, like Daniel, I guess, in the lion's den, which is yes. prison in its own right. Right, yeah, yeah. yes, like yeah. yeah. A lot of those stories. Yeah, and Paul, of course, he. Uh, it's wonderful he went to prison because he had the time then to write the, yeah. his letters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is. I'd never really thought about that. Can, there is a lot of it in the Bible. Oh, my word, yes, yeah. yes. So so we've had a yeah, good life. Marge passed away in June and 
we'd had a great life together, mm. but she was, uh, in a way, the principal partner. I, I was there because of Marge, in a way, yeah. She's a very straight lady, mm. yeah. And so you had a wonderful life together. Yeah, we did, enriched by uh, by those sort of things, like her being happy to go to the prison and meet with the old bloke that was there and mm. that sort of thing. Yes, yeah. A lot of shared shared memories and experiences and that makes a, a big difference as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah yes, relationship. yes, yes. And we were fortunate to do a bit of touring around Australia with a caravan. Okay. But, uh, uh, not enough, I suppose, but anyway, we had a good share of that. It sounds um, like you moved a lot around, especially uh, Queensland and Northern Territory. Yes, <laughs> Throughout yes. your life as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we could uh, always look someone up, you know, like, yeah, well, yesterday I met this lady who we met all those years ago mm. and had a conversation. I know her. we kept in touch and she knew Marge and loved her too. Yeah. Yes. I guess now we've gone through your story a bit, so I just yes. got a couple of questions that would help, I guess, for you to reflect back on that and also maybe help anyone who's listening as well yes. at the same time. So like if one of the ones I was, would like to ask you is if if you could give a piece of advice to your, say, your 20-year-old self, like you could go back and talk to your 20-year-old yes. self, what, what's something that you would say to them, do you think? Mm. Yes. That's interesting. When I was 20 years old, probably my mind was full of the woman I was going to marry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, was, uh, uh, I suppose, come to grips with that situation. And, uh, I, uh, w- one thing I, I've realised since my wife has died, that I, I think I was a good husband. I believe it was. And I thought I just wondered if I'd appreciated her as much as I should have. Uh, people love to be appreciated, and uh, sometimes we take things for granted, don't we? Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can think of people who I haven't maybe appreciated as much as I should have. I've met some great people in my days uh, who. Uh, Inspirations, you know, it's great to meet your mum and your dad, they're special people. Mm. Yeah, yes, yeah. Now, I don't know what advice I well, I, I, I do know. I think that the world would be a better place if more people would uh, take notice of, of biblical teaching mm. and uh, the principles involved there. I'm uh, uh, interested that. You know, I suppose the principal religions in the world, Buddhism, and and I'm not quite sure of the name of that book that they follow, but yeah. written by one man. And the uh, Muslims, we've got a, one man, mm. Muhammad, who changed his mind halfway through and made, made it suit himself and his desires. And uh, we've got well, the New Testament, for instance, with about 13 authors uh, most of them having been in the time of Jesus and some of them very, very close friends of Jesus. Yeah. So they're writing from their experiences there and uh, yeah, it's just so ritual that. that uh, but I'm in, I'm in the Gideons 
Oh, yeah. And, and uh, it's amazing how I offer, I like to offer testament. I've got them in my pocket if you want one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yesterday, yesterday we had lunch with uh, one of our friends and uh, I offered the testament to the waitress. I got up and got, offered it. She had actually had crosses, uh, earrings with little yeah, crosses. Okay. Uh, but she didn't know much about it, but she accepted it quite readily. Um, but there are others who always jump back as if you brought a snake out of your pocket or something. Yeah, <laughs> which is rather rather strange. Yeah, yeah. It's I, it's it's interesting. I um, I think it's always been a thing, but it's, I think especially at the moment, there's so much of this um, motivational speakers. You know, um, people who not aren't necessarily Christians, for yes. instance, and they're. They're having thousands and thousands of people come to these events. Yes. But pretty much when you look at it, so 90% of what they're teaching is actually found in the Bible. Principles, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Like it's nothing new. No, no, uh, Like no. Uh, Proverbs, like pretty much most of that is what a motivational speaker is telling you anyway. Yeah, you know? yes, like, that's um, right, yes. Convicted on not reading the books essentially as much of what's written by the latest motivational speaker, yes. but actually read the source, yes. which is the Bible. That's right. You know, yes, um, yes. I, yeah, I find that really interesting. Yes, um, yes. There's nothing, nothing new coming no, out of it. So. That's, yeah, it's, it's really there. quite interesting. Yes. Well, I think we've done I, done pretty well. I've enjoyed talking with you. Oh, with I've Richard. loved it. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, I don't know whether I've given much as it was a, a real – Follow on stuff, but anyway, it's bits th- and pieces. I think you'd be surprised what uh, the the wisdom that comes out of it, just your story. Yeah. You know, I know, as, especially as I've been sitting here listening, that it's given me a lot of um, what's the word inspiration. I think as well in the in the the one of the big things that you talked about, which impacted me, was just how much. As you're saying, God has led you on a path, mm, mm. even if you yes. aren't prepared. Yes, you've just—it's just happened. You've made—you've made, yes. you've made yes. it happen yes. through a lot of hard work. Yes, yes. but also, you know that there's—it's not a—it's not something to be afraid of. No, if you're no. being called into something, yes, yes step into yes. it. Because I mightn't have emphasized enough the part that my dear wife played in my life, mm. um, and and. You know, I just emphasise that when I first met her, I thought this is the woman that I should marry, mm. and that's a lovely feeling. That is an amazing, that's feeling. a lovely feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're meant to be together, hey? Yes, I think yeah. so. Yes, yeah. yes. It sounds yes. like you were both a great team. That's for sure. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, she was. A, she was uh, better at many things than I was, really. Yes, mm. yes. Which is exactly that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, she's a special lady. Yeah, I've enjoyed just talking. Yeah, but I didn't. Uh, not much. Uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, system to it, maybe. But uh, anyway, the bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. That's the, and I think I was saying to you that's. It's just sharing sharing the stories. Yes, you know? yes, they, uh, yes. I know cool. I love listening to people's stories. And yeah, yes. I'm learning that more and more people like listening to yes. people's stories as well. So mm. it was an honour to sit down with you and thank you so much for taking time out of your, your day, out of your Friday to uh, – I've, I've really enjoyed it, Richard. Uh, thanks. Yes, I love going over the old things, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important. I think it's important that we all – 
have a chance to look back on our own story and yes. see those and bring those yes. memories back again. And, mm. Yeah, uh, 92 or ni- 92, wasn't it? Yeah, you've got a, you've got a lot more stories than yeah, that. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, God's been, been in our lives, and uh, de- whether we deserved it or not, actually. He's definitely been there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ted. All the best it's to you, Richard. It's been wonderful. Thank All you so much. Yeah, yeah.